0: It's good to meet with Don Higgins today to hear about the way God has been working in his life over the years. Don, I'd like to invite you to talk about the nature of the crisis that led you to seek Christ-centered counseling.
1: I was born into a Christian home and uh, I was taught avidly to follow the Lord in uh, faithful attendance at Sunday school and church and uh, give attention to the things of God I was uh, I was trained by my parents in the uh, what would be called the uh, Christian disciplines or spiritual disciplines and uh, things like reading my bible and uh, learning memory work uh, were paramount in my experience with my parents my mother was a very legalistic uh, pentecostal christian uh, my father was a disciplinarian Uh, He was a very kind and gentle, loving man. Um, I don't think I was ever lacking in knowing that I was loved, but uh, I can assure you that as time went on, I can uh, recall that I I never remembered having been told by either one of them that that they loved me, and I just assumed that that was the case because they were in their actions very loving parents. Um, I always had a desire for the things of God. I was born again when I was seven years of age, and at about 13 years of age, I had an experience which uh, the Pentecostals call the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and um, I thought all of these things were putting me in good stead with uh, with God. I uh, attended uh, summer camps for boys and girls. I... um, Became active in young peoples. Uh, if there was any anything Christian going, I was uh, I was there and I was at it. And I became active in young peoples and was called upon at eighteen years of age to give uh, leadership to a group of young people in our uh, in our church. I, uh, and as time went on, I learned to be a Sunday school teacher and to lead in. Uh, other groups in the church and uh, I was one of those Christians that had it all together and I, I figured that um, I figured that if um, I could teach Sunday school like this and uh, I could be leading in uh, various church activities uh, that God must have been leading me and directing me and I I probably knew about as much as God as I needed to know and I became self-satisfied and, uh, in my performance I became this was a Christian life.
0: By the way, Don, um, you've alluded to already a few examples of leadership and responsibility. You're the firstborn in your family, right? Older of two? I'm the first
1: of, of two boys. Um, there was a third son that was uh, born later on in life, but he died when he was 10 weeks of age. So I went through a, uh, a mourning experience with my, my parents over over the loss of a baby brother.
0: Mm -hmm. Often the firstborn has a bit more of a sense of responsibility and leadership potential. It seems that that's the case in your journey.
1: Well, it seems so, and um, I I assumed responsibility, which later in life turned out to be, I suppose, a bit of a mistake. We went to uh, children's camp together as brothers, uh, he's about uh, five years younger than I am. And um, we grew up together um, in a in a fairly um, a peaceful, uh, fairly um, satisfying experience in, in home life. As I said, Dad was a disciplinarian. I remember one time he was uh, spanking me, and he was telling me that this was hurting him more than it was hurting Just stop. But, uh, right. <laughs> that was that was the story of my life. I I didn't get away with anything.
0: How did that uh, also contribute to your ongoing sense of duty and uh, responsibility in your Christian life?
1: Well, um, in my Christian experience as a teenager, I became disheartened at a at a secular high school, and I just uh, had the sense that I didn't want to be there. And so I took it upon myself uh, one summer to get a summer job that enabled me to pay my own tuition to go to a, uh, a Christian high school. Mm. So for two years of uh, my high school education, I was with uh, a Christian people and Christian influence at school. Uh, this uh, further solidified uh, my what I thought was my spiritual security uh, in that I. Um, I had more brownie points to put on my uh, record as, as being a pretty good guy. I uh, met my dear wife at uh, that Christian high school, and uh, after courting for five years or more, we, uh, we were married in 1960, and uh, God blessed our home with uh, four lovely children and uh, more prosperity in, in finishing my education, which was in the accounting field. And uh, I was immediately hired into a into a prosperous uh, building supply company and uh, was first of all their accountant, but uh, over the years that uh, developed into uh, being the president general manager for a parent company who purchased the uh, operation. And uh, so it was after 32 years of I retired, and we'll talk about that later, but that retirement came about. as as a result of God opening a ministry.
0: I should have Uh, mentioned in my opening remarks, Don, that you and Miriam live in Canada, and and you were raised in Ontario, right?
1: That's correct. Mm -hmm. I worked for a company that was Swiss-based. It was based in Switzerland. It had its head office in Canadian operations in Montreal. I was traveling. I had an executive home. Uh, I had an executive car. And... uh, All all the world was uh, coming my way, and I was sitting on top of it uh, with uh, much self-satisfaction and uh, much uh, deep assurance in my heart that uh, God was in it all, some way or other, and I was bringing honor and glory to him by all of my service in many kinds of church leadership activities. I was on a board of governors of a Bible college. Um, I was... uh, on a board of governors for a boys' ministry uh, for all of Canada, uh, as a chairman of a Christian boys' camp um, up in the Halliburton's in Ontario. Here, And uh, uh, I really thought I had it all together, and uh, was bringing honor and glory to God. I had uh, I had been very close to a pastor in my church, and this will lead up to the uh, how the brokenness came about in my life. I had been with two successive pastors over 16 years and in essence i was their two ic they depended on me heavily as uh, their sort of quasi-assistant and most of the people in the church had a great deal of respect for me and uh, they honored me they uh uh, they thought well of me or at least i thought they did and uh, when this second of the two pastors over 16 years retired He threw his arms around me on his farewell evening, and he said, Don, I have to tell you that in all my years of pastoring, for for about 30 years, there's never been a man that has meant more to me than you. And I thought this was sort of a feather in my cap, and um, uh, this was more honor and glory to God. And uh, so we started the year when this pastor resigned of him not being around and there was an associate or assistant pastor, or fill-in pastor, interim pastor that came. and I worked with him for another year and um, at the end of uh, that year it was my turn to be uh, re-elected or re-invited to come and serve on the church board. I had been serving a sabbatical and I just automatically assumed that I would be um, I would be called upon again to uh, to serve in the capacity on the board and when the business meeting was over um, and while my name was on the ballot i wasn't elected and uh, that was probably the most devastating thing of rejection that happened in my life and i began to realize that something was wrong
0: it's interesting don how as we read christian biographies and think about our own spiritual formation that god allows disappointment and disillusionment to come in to uh Kind of um, open us up for a, a deeper work uh, mm-hmm. in our lives, and i I sense that you're setting the stage now for uh, for a time of uh, brokenness that would become kind of birth pangs, leading you to to a new dimension of christian living
1: It surely was and uh, I'm trying to make that story as brief as i can uh, that was at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of nineteen eighty Three, I believe it was, and, uh, and in the turmoil of that rejection that came from, uh, from my brothers and sisters in the church, I became aware of a deep need in my spirit that, uh, that I needed something more of God than what I had. And I can remember praying, God, I don't care what you do as long as, uh, as you do it. I need to know what the Christian life is really all about. It was in March of that year. That's only two months or months or so after this uh, non-election that God met me by the side of the road, and He um, asked me to stop the car on a cold winter day. And uh, I pulled the car over on a uh, snow-covered road and uh, listened carefully to the side at the side of the road. And I saw coming out of a hill in the distance, there were three uh, huge trees, and then the huge trees became crosses. And as they came closer and closer, um, it actually had the appearance of the Lord Jesus uh, on the cross with his nose directly in front of my nose and his eyes piercing mine. And he made a simple statement, which I'll allude to sometime later, but uh, he simply said, I did all of this for you and I took it to mean that uh, that Jesus had died on the cross and he did went through all of his pain and all of this agony and he he was willing to do that on, on my behalf and that was rather a stunning experience for me um, but uh, it was God's way of assuring me that he was with me for the tumultuous days that would follow and um, I am thankful to God that I had that assurance from that experience by the side of the road that uh that He was with me because I don't think I would have survived through the the pain and agony of the next thirty four months that uh, that came about in my experience
0: I would imagine don that that kind of a impression directly from God's spirit to your heart and that vision was an unusual experience for you
1: absolutely i um I was still in a position of management with the company that I was working for. And um, I knew that I could not go back to the office. And so I i was so uh, stunned and uh, it was like being Paul kicked off his horse. I made my way to my home. I called my secretary at the office and said I won't be in for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And um, I drove the car into the garage at... Uh, at my home, and I tooted the horn and asked my wife to come and help me out of the car and get into my pajamas and get into bed. Uh, I was just uh, blown uh, I just said to said to Miriam my wife uh, i said i 've seen God, and uh, I just need to go to bed and be left alone with him Mm-mm. and so that was um, that was a very um, dramatic experience but again it provided a platform of knowing that god was with me for the things that would happen
0: and you needed that assurance because of the the mounting uh, pressures and stresses that were on the way
1: that's right and uh, i had no idea what was coming and um, it was then that um, that things began to fall apart Uh, and by june of that year in summary, I was diagnosed with four major health problems. I had been told that uh, I had the beginning of cancer in my colon. I uh, had frozen shoulder. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't put on a sweater, comb my hair. Uh, I was a bit difficult to drive the car, couldn't move my shoulders. They were so filled with uh, calcium, the doctor, uh, not being a Christian, and I think this is uh, and there was something in his words that is, is very poignant and uh, applies to the experience that I was journeying. Uh, he said, Mr. Higgins, uh, you're still a young man, but uh, he said, unless you find another way to live, uh, you're going to kill yourself. Mm. And he said, you need to find another way to live. And uh, I didn't. I didn't understand what he was saying. He was saying that from a medical point of view, but God was saying it from a spiritual point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, then about every, uh, every uh, three months, I was having what appeared to be heart attacks, um, and usually they would occur on a Friday night, and we'd have plans to do something on the weekend. The plans would have to be canceled the night, and we'd end up in the hospital with monitors on my, on my body trying to figure out what was wrong with my heart. And um, that was very disconcerting. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was told that I had a groinal hernia, which needed to be repaired. And so I was a basket case when it came to my physical condition. At the same time, the uh, affairs at at work were not going well. We were in an economic economic turndown. And uh, that's never good for people who are in the building business. And so our building supply company was having red ink at the bottom line, and my uh, superiors were saying, you've got to do something to fix this. And uh, so I was cutting back and letting people go and uh, trying to trim budgets, and it was a very, very challenging and difficult time. Mm -hmm. I probably, for the three months that I, um, or the three years, rather, that I was in this period of brokenness, I never slept more than two or three hours a night. I would go to my study and I'd get on my tummy with my house on and my King James Bible open in front of me and simply cry out to God and say, God, where are you? Mm. And God didn't answer. I just, there just didn't seem to be any answers. It was a time when I was walking in the valley of the shadow of death. I just, um, I just couldn't contact God. Then uh, there were some things that happened in my family. I began to realize that I had lost the emotional uh, experience of love with my children. Uh, they were telling me that uh, they didn't feel that I loved them and I was uh, I was leaving them alone and I was a failure as a father. And then with the continuing crisis at the church a new man came into the church and pastor and it was only he was only here about 6 weeks when he informed me after my coming to him time and again uh, he said look I don't have any plans for you to do anything in this church I have another agenda and uh, please don't bother me and I said well look you're my spiritual leader can't you help me we agreed that we'd see I'd see him on Tuesday for an hour each Tuesday of the week and uh, after a few of those meetings he said look Don I can't help you Uh, I'd like to send you to a psychiatrist in Detroit And I knew that a psychiatrist was not the answer, Uh, and I said, you're my spiritual leader. You ought to be able to help me. He said, well, I can't. I don't want to see you in my office again, and so I was facing a mounting rejection and uh, and failure and conviction on, on many squares, and I began to be very hostile towards this man who was my I later learned uh, he was my divinely appointed crucifier mm-hmm. and uh, to be God's instrument in making my death burial and resurrection with Christ a reality but we'll get to that later and so um, I was in the point of despair at the point that I I just didn't want to live I was still trying to work and I'd come home from work driving down the expressway and actually looking for bridge abutments, and which one will I, which one will I pick to crash my car into? Mm. I, um, and one occasion, I drove uh, from my office in downtown Kitchener to uh, almost home, and I drove past my home, and I got to Woodstock, Ontario, which is an hour's drive from Kitchener, and I was determined I was going to drive to Key West, Florida, and get lost where nobody could find me. And when I got to Woodstock, I said, "This is stupid. I'm going to home to, home to my wife to to be with my family." I ceased going to church. Uh, I lost all interest in going to church. It was nothing but pain. I'd go out into the woods behind my house and send my family to church on Sunday morning and just get on a stump and sit there and cry mm-hmm. and uh, look for God, and I couldn't find him. He just didn't seem to answer
0: it seems Don, that the the devotion and and the discipline and the commitment and achievement you know of your younger christian life is almost a mirror image of the intensity of your brokenness and despair that you were in at this juncture
1: well i think so and um as as a, for the former pastor with whom i had such a close relationship as he he told, me, he, he told me later, he said, he said, I don't understand what's happening in your life and why God is so severely breaking you, but I know it must be for something of very significant import later. He said, you'll find the fruit later. He was an encouragement uh, at that point, but uh, I still did not understand where I was going. <laughs> I didn't understand what the, what the journey was all about. But uh, that's the kind of despair I was in. Then, um, about halfway through this three-year period, I was in a Christian bookstore, and I was just looking for something. It was just something to do. I had to get out of my office, and I went to a Christian bookstore. And uh, walked down the one left wall of the the, uh, book display, and uh, the heading was Self-Help. And uh, I looked at a, um I looked at a book that was at my right at my eye level, and um, it had the appearance of having a halo and a light around it. And it, uh, it was not sitting still on the shelf; it was jiggling. And I heard it say, "Buy me." And I thought, "This is strange. Why is why is this book acting like that? Books don't act like that." But and nevertheless, that's the that's the impression I had. So I bought it. And I came home and devoured it in, uh, in about two nights. The title of that book was Handbook to Happiness by Dr. Charles Solomon. I saw for the first time in my life that the answer was to be found in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I had no idea of its practical application or I had no sense of divine revelation other than to say this this is an important verse. So I went back to the bookstore in a few days, and I said, I'd like to buy some more copies of this book. And at that time, in 1984 it was, uh, the bookstore said, we don't have that book, we don't know where to get it, and I don't think we've ever had it. And I said, well, I bought this one here just a few days ago. And they said, well, it must have been sent to us as a sample, and we had it on our shelf just to get rid of it said, well, I
0: want you to give me some more. Sounds like a remarkable <laughs> answer to prayer dime with them having the book there without ordering it and you having that kind of mystical impression to uh, pick it up and <laughs> praise the Lord that as you devoured what it in those two nights that you saw that there was a, a relevant answer for your struggles.
1: Yes. And so for the next uh, the next year, that uh, is till the middle of the middle of nineteen eighty five I began to try to make this principle work in my life. I said, well, I, I need to die. I need to stop doing what I'm doing, and I need to be a different person, so I'm going to try to be a different person. By the middle of the spring of 1985, I was getting absolutely nowhere, and that's when I called Dr. Charles Solomon's office in Colorado, I didn't get to talk to him, but I got to talk to a secretary in his office, and she said, Well, uh, you live an awfully long way from
0: where we are here
1: in, in Colorado, uh, but we would uh, suggest that you see an associate of ours named Bob Toby in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, so I was referred to them, and um, I believe it was in May, I made an appointment. Uh, or six months later in November, uh, to see them in uh, Indianapolis. The girl said to me on the telephone, are you sure you're ready for God's solution? And I said, well, it hurts an awful lot. There must be a solution that God has. I uh, made made my way to a joint session with Dr. Toby, whereby on the one hand, I would have personal counseling for two and a half days, and then I would... Um, I would go to a, an Exchange Life conference that he was doing in uh, Indianapolis uh, that weekend and uh, hear the presentation of the, the message of the Exchange Life.
0: By the way, Don, that's a real uh, bonus when you can have the two two ha- two and a half days of personalized counsel, but then to have that followed up with the uh, the conference teaching where it's laid out in a more precept-by-precept precept fashion.
1: I would also say, John, that uh, for anyone that is, is looking for help, that uh, it's likely that both are, are important. It's one thing to hear it in public with the precepts being presented. It's another thing to have someone who has uh, taken the journey and understands the journey and to walk mm-hmm. you through it uh, step by step because each journey is is personal and particular to the individual.
0: Right. Amen. So
1: both methods are important, and uh, mm-hmm. it was important for me to have the two back to back in that uh, time in November of 1985.
0: So how did God use that visit Indiana to to help you appropriate what you were learning about?
1: Uh, first of all, Doctor Toby had uh, sent to me before my appointment. He had sent to me what is called a Taylor Johnson uh, personality uh, review or test survey. Unbeknownst to me, uh, when he marked it ahead of my coming to uh, Indianapolis, uh, it turns out that I'm a dominant hostile. When I parked the car in the parking lot of his uh, office uh, area, he looked out the window and he saw me coming out of the car and he said, "Uh uh-oh, what have I got my hands uh, into now? Uh, here I have a dominant hostile, and he's six foot four. He's taller than me. Uh, how am I going to handle this bow in the china shop?
0: And the bigger they right. come, the harder they fall.
1: <laughs> that's right. He was uh, Dr. Toby. Uh, turned out to be uh, an ongoing mentor for me, a man blessed of God and uh, mm-hmm. anointed to to help others uh, through this journey. And um, as we as we began our counseling interview. It became obvious that this man was very skilled at what he was doing, and he initially said, Well, Don, you may have uh, heard of Galatians 2 and 20, but he said, Until you have divine revelation and personal application, it isn't going to be any good. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, It's one thing to intellectually know about it. It's another thing to experientially know about it.
0: Right.
1: And so um, he was able to show me some of my flesh traits and some of my flesh patterns, uh, through the counseling sessions in two and a half days, I really did, was not touched by the Holy Spirit um, in a way to to really have a divine revelation of Galatians two and twenty. Uh, that did not come until I heard it presented in the uh, in the conference uh, a couple of days later.
0: Mm.
1: I think I want to make a point here that divine revelation is absolutely imperative. Uh, it's one thing to know Galatians 2 and 20. It's another thing to have the Holy Spirit uh, make it part of your experience until it grips your heart. Just like that experience by the side of the road uh, earlier, uh, that that was uh, a burning point where the burning brand of God's Spirit came and made an impression. That's what needs to happen with the understanding of Galatians
0: 2 and 20. It reminds us, Don, of the prayer in Ephesians 1 where Paul prayed that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And that's the way God answered prayer for you, right? You had heard it and had the personal insights with Bob. And then as you heard it presented once again, the Holy Spirit illumined you to, to make it personal and and transformational.
1: Uh, He indicated, that's correct, and he indicated to me during our personal experience, he said, it sounds to me as if you've been trying to make Galatians 2 and 20 work. And he said, it's it's you and your efforts trying to make it work, and that isn't the way it works. God Mm -hmm. makes it work. That was an important lesson for me to learn. Okay. During the two and a half days of counseling, one night he sent me home, and he said, would you pray tonight before you go to bed? And give God permission to reveal to you what has what your hangup is, what your what has made you into the person that you are. Mm. And uh, the next morning, uh, I did that. And the next morning, on the way to the office on a very busy highway around the city of Indianapolis, uh, I heard a voice from the back seat of my car. My wife was with me in the front seat, and uh, I said, "Did you hear that?" She said, "Hear what?" And I said, "Did you hear?" mother talking my mother talking from the back seat she said no i said well i did and it was the voice i heard and what she said was donnie when you do a good job you'll be well thought of and i was immediately taken back to an incident when i was a very young boy uh, learning a long poem for a christmas concert and uh, the rest of my sunday school class was a a group of five or six boys, uh, little fellows by comparison to me, and they had all one-liner statements and phrases to say in the concert. When it came my turn, I was to say a seven-verse poem, and here I was struggling with my mother trying to learn this poem, and I said, Mommy, why do I have to learn this? Mm -hmm. And my mommy said to me, Donnie, if you do a good job of it, people will think well of you. And I think the Holy Spirit had to show me that experience to illustrate to me that all of my life I had been doing a good job to impress people and to impress God. And that it was my performance that was really the, the heart of my uh, my very being. And unless I could perform, I was, I was nothing. If I couldn't have a part in making the church go, then I was nothing. If I couldn't uh, be successful in business, then I was nothing. If I couldn't be successful as a father, then I thought of myself as nothing. And so I had become a performance addict, and um, I had, above all things, uh, learned to develop my own self righteousness by my performance and uh, get my approval from God. And when I shared that um, incident with Bob the next day, he said, "Well, that's it. You ask God to show you, and He's showing you. Mm-hmm. And that's your problem. Your uh, your identity comes from your performance. And uh, God has had enough of it, and uh, He wants uh, He wants to show you another way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the remaining part of the weekend and the, and the conference was God revealing to Himself to me as to how." You know, we'll Go back to the roadside experience how God had her Jesus had done it all for me And really what Jesus had said to me by the side of the road He said I didn't he didn't say I did all of this for you. He said I did all That needed to be done mm. for you And uh, so the unfolding of God's Revelation from that first experience by the side of the side of the road became more complete on that weekend when I saw for the first time that whatever needed to be done to make me an acceptable person had already been done by Jesus on the cross. And that's how those two things tie together.
0: Sounds like a major paradigm shift, Don, from performance-based acceptance to discovering he really did it all for you.
1: That's right. It's also uh, being further amplified even today in my experience that uh, I have to realize that God has done this work in my brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they may not know it. Mm-hmm. And so I need to accept them. Right. I need to accept them, not on the basis of what they do, and uh, but on the basis of what Christ has done. And they may not believe what Christ has done in their life, but I do. And so I can treat them accordingly. And I've learned to accept then one another just as Christ has accepted me. And uh, So it's not uh, I can get disheartened about a person not acting the way he should, but I have to learn to look at God's method of, of acceptance and see that God has accepted them not on what they do, it's on what He has done.
0: So the Holy Spirit reminded you of that message from your mother, which really represented kind of the 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 nerve, you know, of how you were conditioned, and also illumined uh, through the conference teaching. What your union with Christ you know, really meant at a personal level.
1: That's right. That's right. So, so these um, these spots of revelation along the way were were key. Now, when when we um, went through the conference with uh, Doctor was sitting on a church bench in a Baptist church, uh, Brownsville, Maryland, Indiana, and he came to the point of showing me a. Um, a line diagram where the, a line uh, took me and intersected with a, a line, a lifeline with the Christ and a lifeline in Adam, and how the two of us were Christ and I were together on the cross, so that when Christ uh, died, I died, and when Christ was buried, I was buried, and when Christ was resurrected, I was resurrected. And at the moment, at the moment that Dr. Toby said, when Christ was resurrected in newness of life, you were resurrected in newness of life, and the work is complete. Mm-hmm. There was a shaft of, uh, emotion, there was a shaft of something in my spirit that said, that's it. I had a three-ring binder lying on my lap, and my hand at the moment happened to be under the one side of the binder. And my hand came up to slap my forehead. And my book went flying uh, to the left of me and uh, landed in Miriam's lap. And I said, oh, my God. It was done uh, 2,000 years ago, and I've been trying to make it happen. It was it was a breathtaking experience where the Holy Spirit once again said, "Yes, it was done. You are complete, just the way you are, on the basis of what was done at Calvary." Amen. And uh, that's when the moment of, of truth hit me, and from that moment in my life, I knew that my journey was going to be different. But it, it all culminated in that in that one statement, um, the, third, the third aspect of the cross. Not only was I crucified with Christ, not only was I buried with him, but I was resurrected with him. And when I saw my resurrection in Christ, I knew I was righteous. It was just that indelibly clear that uh, it was a
0: turning point. It's a whole new dimension of the gospel, isn't it, Don?
1: That's right. that happened on November the 21st, the day after my birthday in 1985. That's uh, that's 32 years ago now. Pretty
0: pretty nice birthday present.
1: (laughs) It sure was. And uh, I knew that uh, when I came home and came back to Kitchener that life would be different because there was a new person coming
0: back home. Hard to believe it's been over 30 years since then. That's right. What were some of the initial changes, Don, as you and Miriam... (laughs) Pointed your car north to try to uh, settle into this new revelation and appropriate his daily grace.
1: When I left Bob Toby's office on uh, my last day, um, he he made this statement. He said, I know by the degree of brokenness that has taken place in your life that God will send his hurting children to you. And uh, I had no idea what that that meant, but uh, as we'll discover in our next uh, in our next sharing together, God began to send hurting people to me uh, in order that I could help them through the same journey that I had come through.
0: Amen. He comforts us so that we can pass on that comfort to others.
1: That's right. It's Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Comfort the comfort that I've received, uh, I have received. I have. Received it so that I can give it to
0: others. And I'm sure your wife was rejoicing to see uh, the degree of revelation and peace that you were experiencing after those torturous three years.
1: Um, Life was pretty unbearable for her. Um, I had become an angry man. I was beating the walls of the house at times. There was one occasion I was beating the walls and I actually punctured the the wall with one of my rings. The uh, rings uh, punctured the wallpaper and made an impression that uh, had to be repaired. Mm-hmm. But I was a very angry man. I became uh, angry at those who were rejecting me. I became angry at those who were ignoring me. Uh, I, in my periods of time when I wouldn't go to church, I would say, "See, nobody is coming to." Comfort me to see what's wrong. Nobody is care, cares for me. I had alienated myself from everybody. It's, it's interesting, John, these, um, these four health conditions that I had. In November, I had come to the truth, this revelation of life in Christ. And by February, I had, um, I was sitting in my mother-in-law's living room, and she said to me in front of all of the family, she said, how are your shoulders? And I said, my shoulders? And I put my arms straight up in the air, and I said, my shoulders are fine. God has healed me. Now, the doctor had told me that what was happening is because of all the tension, because of all the anxiety that I was carrying, that calcium deposits had been building up in the ball and socket joints of my shoulders. And that calcium buildup is what was restricting my shoulders from moving. Mm -hmm. And it seems that in three months following the truth of my life in Christ, my anxiety and my tension just, just dissipated and my body began to heal itself until my shoulders are fine.
0: So as God restored your soul, your stress-related health problems improved, and uh, I guess it was obvious to to your immediate family that you were experiencing uh, peace and joy.
1: Uh, My wife said to me, I have a new husband and I didn't have to get married again.
0: Hallelujah.
1: (laughs) Miriam Miriam had uh, an experience with God about almost one year to the date of uh, uh, coming to the truth. It was on my previous birthday, that uh, she had a travailing experience with God, and God spoke to her heart, and she said, "I want you to see and, and treat your husband as if he's fully restored." And she, God gave her a vision of me ministering at the front of a church, and uh, so she wrote down on a piece of paper, and she said, "I choose to see my husband as fully restored." That was one. That was one year approximately before my restoration really happened. And, and again in February, after the restoration, she took me aside one night and she said, I want to show you something that fell out of my Bible today. And this piece of paper fell out of her Bible and she began to cry. She said, I, I saw you as fully restored a whole year before your restoration came and now it's happened. So we praised the Lord together and saw that he had... God had been with us so faithfully through this broken experience. If I have any message for someone who's going through brokenness, God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. Mm-hmm. And we had we had those glimpses through the brokenness that God was there. But uh, we were so devastated that... Uh, It didn't seem like
0: it. Well, we are so grateful that you've been testifying of your personal life and spiritual journey. And not only did Miriam see that dramatic answer to prayer, but we've been able to to hear about it as well. And uh, I think we can identify with the Lord's work in your life, Don, the need to surrender, but also the need to have a grace awakening, as it were, to come to know Christ as life.
1: One year after, one year after my uh, restoration, November of 1985, I went back for another colonoscopy to the people that had told me that I had cancer in my colon, and they said it's all gone. There's nothing there. It's
0: all gone. Well, we rejoice that uh, Christ in us is the hope of glory, not only the glory of heaven, but the glory of this kind of restoration right. In our right. personal soul and in our relationships.
1: And in Romans chapter 8, I think it's verse 9 or 10, if the spirit dwells within you, he will also quicken your mortal body. That's exactly what happened. But I have to say that during these, this period of brokenness and through even the uh, restoration period, my focus was not on my body. My focus was on God. And as I began to allow the Spirit of God to speak to my heart, he, he restored my body. It just happened. Because He's faithful. That's what His Word says He would do.
0: That's it. Well, we would like to continue this conversation next time, Don, if you would be willing to uh, testify a bit more about how <laughs> Dr. Toby mentored you in the months and years to come and how um, Crossways to Life Uh, ministry in Kitchener was birthed. Would that be all right? That'd be fine. Wonderful. And we just thank you again for your testimony and fellowship in uh, the fuller message of the cross.
1: It's been my joy.